You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. All right, gang, we are back for another fun-filled episode of Pros Like Us. We've got trades, pro days, Final Four, and we're going to try to fix the Broncos. But first, we want to welcome our guest, DJ Bien Ame. He is a Jets beat writer for the New York Daily News, former uh, sprinter at the University of Louisville, was there around the same time as Lamar Jackson. But uh, let's welcome him in. DJ, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about yourself? This should be a lot of fun. All right, doing well. We're looking forward to it. Well, anything at uh, your time at Louisville stand out? Um, you know, just being there for Lamar Jackson's uh, Heisman run, that was a lot of fun because that team was really good that year. So they started out 9-1 and one that year before losing to Houston and UK to LSU. But the energy around the school, the vibe around the school well, was rocking. That was my first year there. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun um, running track, being in that environment where you know, you're running against potential Olympians and things like that. Just being around some of the best of the best athletes, uh, being on a team with some athletes that could jump out of the gym. We had some high jumpers that could leap. Um, we had some fast sprinters, hurdlers, throwers. It was fun, man. That that was a very, very fun time in my life, and those memories will last me forever. Great. I mean, so you're you're going to bring a certain perspective to to your writing, and so from covering covering the Jets. I, I want to lead off with a, a question that a longtime Jets fan has uh, has given to me to to ask you. Joe Douglas making some moves here. They kind of have the driver's seat, if you would, in the draft. Trevor Lawrence kind of sp- spoken for it, number one. Some of the other moves that Joe Douglas is making, can this Jets fan have some confidence moving forward that the tide is turned and things are going to start moving in a good direction from what you see is joe douglas the guy to do this yeah things have been turning in the right direction being in Corey davis who was fourth in the nfl in yards off play action the jets are probably going to have an offense that's going to feature a lot of play action so he's going to be able to eat off of that um he'd have had over a thousand yards last year had he not had covid um which caused him to miss two games Bringing in Carl Lawson, who was second in the NFL in quarterback hits last year with 32. Um, yeah, he only had six sacks, but he causes havoc. He causes pressures. He gets, he gets after the quarterback. He just to finish plays. Bringing in Sheldon Rankins on a basically a one-year deal, even though it's two years, and then we'll see about the next. But just being able to get a, a low bargain deal on him and see where, where things go with him. I've liked some of the additions, you know, getting Keenan Cole in the slot to compete with Jameson Crowder, things like that. Um, and then, you know, now we have the draft coming up, but things are trending in the right direction in my humble estimation. All right. Well, I see you like the Corey Davis move. I guess which other move do you see is perhaps we'll be praising Douglas for once the season gets rolling? We start to see some some uh, production on the field from one of these guys. I think the Corey Davis one is for sure the one that we'll be praising because uh, PFF had him ranked as the 10th best receiver. So, I mean, yeah, he, he didn't put up gaudy numbers, but again, he was in a in a uh, you know in a system where AJ Brown and Derrick Henry basically being the one two options and then Corey Davis having to find out find where he can fit in so he may be able to turn into that number one guy and then I think we'll be praising him because I mean he's only making I think he's on a three year thirty seven million dollar deal there's dudes like uh, Nelson Aguilar who's getting more than him so I think we'll be praising that move for Carl Lawson let's say if he has like over ten sacks so you're expecting him to be a double digit sack guy 
yeah, you're also expecting Corey Davis to be a thousand yard receiver guy, but I feel like he can take another step into that echelon that can really make you think, oh, like you kind of got him out of bargain. Um, I think that move for sure, and maybe, um, obviously the Sheldon. I talk about the Sheldon rankings one, but you know, getting Jamarcus Joyner, um, for for a relatively cheap deal, if you can get him back into that 2017-2018 form when he's with the Rams, that's another potential steal. I do like some of the moves that he's been making, and I and I think one of the two move, one of those few moves could end up paying out. We can look back and saying, you know, that was a really really great signing by by Joe Douglas. DJ, do you believe that the team will move on from linebacker C.J. Mosley and eventually trade him during the draft weekend? Mm-hmm. So there's most definitely a possibility. The issue is he hasn't played much in the last two years and has a very big salary. So getting the team to take that on would be very tough. But if I was, you know, if I was Joe Douglas, I would try to bring him back um, to help the defense out. You know, I mean, you know, defense was one of the worst in in the league last year. But I would bring him back and, you know, just continue to – which is just really neat right now coming up a 2 4 season and just having as much talent, getting as much talent on the roster as possible. Um, and then, we're, you know, worry about the salaries and stuff um, a little bit later. Could I see him get a move? Yeah, but would I move him? Probably not. Unless you get like a, you know, offer you can't refuse. But I'm not too sure you're going to get an offer you can, you can refuse with his contract. DJ Robert Sala comes in with pretty well renowned around the league. I mean, he was one of the top the top guys out there as far as uh, the the coaching search went on. So th- this was I thought was a good get for the Jets. From what you've seen, how would you describe Robert Sala so far as far as being the the lead man there with the Jets? Man, yeah, he's fiery. He has a lot of energy. Players gravitate towards him. I mean, when um, Carl Lawson was talking, you know, on when for his press conference when he first got signed. He just talked about when he saw uh, Robert Sala, some of his just passionate videos on YouTube, and he was like, man, I want to play for a guy like that. And I think that um, is one thing that can galvanize a lot of guys, get people to play hard. X's and O's is extremely important. Let's not underestimate that. But making sure that your players want to play for you is extremely important. I mean, you know, the Jets just had Adam Gase, and a lot of players clearly did not care to play for him. So being able to have a guy that coaches and players rally around and want to play for, that can only help in the long run. So that's one thing that I can say that, you know, I've been able to notice about Salah's impact is just how fiery he is, his energy. What do you think is the biggest obstacle facing this coaching staff in, in year one? The biggest obstacle? Hmm. That's a, that's a good question. Uh, probably the best question I've gotten since I've been on these podcasts since I took the job. I think his biggest obstacle is probably going to be um, people can say, oh, finding a quarterback, um, improving the defense. But if I'm being honest, probably being in, you know, the AFC East with you're going to go against uh, Bill Belichick twice a year, go against a uh, Sean McDermott, go against a Brian Flores, you know, twice a year. So that's six games in your division where, you know, you could be the, the you know, second secondary coach in terms of, you know, you have Bill Belichick, you have Sean McDermott, you have Brian Flores. Those coaches right now, you have to say they're better than Robert Sala. Obviously, he can prove himself as time progresses, but having to deal with those chess matches that you're going to have to go through each each and every week because, you know, let's go NFC, the AFC North, right? John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin. For a while, they were able to beat up on, you know, you know the Cincinnati Bengals of the world and um, the Cleveland Browns of the world just because of instability at coaching, you know? I mean, one year they were able to – go against uh, Zach Taylor and um, Freddie Kitchens, you know, 
and they're both able to, um, you know, win games off of that, just being able to outcoach the other coach. So I think that's going to be one of his biggest obstacles is having to come up with game plans that can really thwart uh, the Sean McDermott's, uh, Brian Flores, and Bill Belichick, who have all proven they can really, really coach. DJ, we're obviously we're moving into the draft, and again, the Jets are sitting there at, at number two, probably going to be a quarterback. At least that's that's our view. Mm-hmm. Do you see a world where they keep Sam Darnold and draft a quarterback at number two? I pray, I pray to God they don't do that. Could you imagine the controversy surrounding that? <laughs> if they were to, you know, get Zach Wilson or get Justin Fields and then keep Sam Darnold, that would just – who are you committing to, right? Okay, yeah, you have Sam Darnold and you drive Zach Wilson, you drive Justin Fields, but who really wins in that? All you're doing is slowing down the development of a Justin Fields or a Zach Wilson, and then you have a Lane Duck and, and, and Sam Darnold. Because you could possibly try to do a situation where, you know, I saw it on the herd earlier this week. Uh, Peter Schrager and Colin, they talked about it where, you know, you can have Sam Darnold go out there, see if he can play well, and then try to trade him. But again, who's going to give you anything if they know he's a lame duck? And we've already seen a lot of bad from him. The chances of him stepping into that situation where he knows he's a lame duck and quote unquote balling out is slim to none. So that would be a, a, a tough situation. Better off just getting, you know, you know, moving on from him and bringing in the rookie and going from there and allowing that rookie to grow within this system and get all the reps that he needs. You know, he's going to be in a tough division with a lot of good defenses. So. Why develop that and stunt that uh, just so you can try to possibly maybe get a third-round pick? I mean, as you've seen, his Sam Darnold's market is pretty shot. Most people believe that Zach Wilson will be the pick to the Jets at number two, that it's a done deal. Where do you stand on this debate? I don't think it's a done deal. If it was a done deal, then why why was the Jets brass outside of Robert Sala? Because, you know, he was being there for the, the birth of, I think, his seventh child. But why would... They'd be there if it was a done deal. Granted, you know, cross your eyes, down your T's, but, you know, they were there. They were at this uh, Justin Fields uh, pro day, and they watched him, and I know that they came away impressed. So I know right now Zach Wilson has the lead, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Around this time last year, it seemed like the Dolphins were going to draft Justin Herbert, and then at the last minute, they switched back to Tua. And then two years ago, well, 2018 class, where it seemed like, the Browns are going to take Sam Darnold, and then last minute, boom, Baker Mayfield. Um, I don't think it's a done deal because we have a month out, you know. I do believe Zach Wilson is in the lead, but you never know. Um, Justin Fields could end up, you know, taking over that second spot and getting picked, but we'll see how time progress. so I don't want to say it's a done deal yet. Well, Justin Fields certainly had the, a great pro day. He ran a 4-4-4, and he put on a show out there with his arm, with his feet. I saw you on Twitter kind of campaigning for Justin <laughs> Fields. So do you think the Jets should draft Fields over Wilson? Do I yeah, do I think they should draft uh, Fields over Wilson? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel that Fields is more talented than, than Zach Wilson. I will give Zach Wilson credit. He looks better when he throws the football. He plays the position a little bit better at this point in terms of anticipating throws. Um, reading coverage is a little bit better. Um, going through his read progressions a little bit better. However, so I guess we could say his floor might be a little bit higher, but Justin Field fits what you want today. Um, I, I was talking to an NFL scout over the weekend. I see a lot of, I see a little bit of Josh Allen. I see a little bit of Dak Prescott. 
So if you're telling me I can get a quarterback that can remind you of Dak Prescott and Josh Allen, why would I go with um, Zach Wilson when I can get, you know, the combination of possibly a Dak Prescott or Josh Allen? Yeah, some people say Wilson reminds them a little bit of Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, but let's all be honest, he doesn't have their arm. From a play style, it, it, it's reminiscent. But again, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, they have arms that allow them to have that play style to make throws that only them and a few humans that have ever walked planet Earth can ever make. They can make throws that Tom Brady, who's considered the greatest quarterback of all time, can't make. And, and I mean, just off of film study in my eyes, I feel like Zach Wilson, like he can make certain throws and he has the flair, he has the desires and he looks cool and he can do a lot of off platform throws, I was saying platinum throws to in another pocket, but platform throws. You can make some of those type of throws and they look great. Like I remember against Navy, like he caught a snap and and he bobbled it, picked it up, rolled right, and then, you know, um fading away through a dart to um a, a receiver, hit him right in the chest. He can make some great throws. He can make some great plays. But I just feel like uh Justin Fields uh ceiling is a lot higher and I feel like if you could tap into that you can get a quarterback that can be better than if you tap into uh, Zach Wilson's um, upside. One more point. People were having these, this debate about, oh, Tua plays the position a little bit better than than um, than uh, Justin Herbert. And then we saw what it looked like last year. Granted, Tua was coming off an injury. And, I mean, I'm a Dolphins fan. I love Tua. But I can't even debate whether Herbert, if he's even in the same class as a Herbert. And, and that was because Herbert was developed and put in a position where he could Utilize his strengths, and I just feel like from a physical standpoint, uh, Justin Fields has more physical gifts than Zach Wilson. Fair enough, but I think Wilson fits this offense better than Justin Fields. You know, his ability to go out, throw on the run, on those bootlegs, his ability to play action pass and, and go through progressions. I mean, he is further along than Justin mm-hmm. Fields at this point, and I just think the Jets are bringing that 49ers offense, the Kyle Shanahan offense. And most people would tell you that Zach Wilson is a very good fit into that offense. Agreed. No, no questions about that. When I talked to the NFL scout, he also asked him who you think would be a better fit. And he, he said the same thing. He said, uh, Zach Wilson would be a better fit based off of, as you alluded to some of the plays and schemes that they run with his bootleg and play actions. And, uh, it's just some of the progressions that will be required in that, Kyle Shanahan, West Coast offense that, you know, Michael Ford will be running. I just feel that, you know, just Fields can also do those things. I, and as I said, I, Zach Wilson right now does those, things, does those things a little bit better. But I feel that Justin Fields can catch up to Zach Wilson in those mental aspects. And when he does, but I think it would just be greater than the output that Zach Wilson will, will have. But again, you, you can, you know, you can like both prospects. I feel that both prospects will succeed. And, you know, whichever one they take in that offense, I do believe that both of them will thrive. I'm the same guy that doubted Deshaun Watson. I'm the same guy that <laughs> doubted Josh Allen. So I can admit that. And we see where the where those quarterbacks are today. So um, I'm sure you're right, I mean, about Justin Fields' ceiling and the kind of hope and glimpse of it during that, that Clemson game in the semifinal. Right, right. No, yeah, no, yeah. We saw a lot of that. I mean, I was looking through a few plays where he uh, he went through he went through his reads like on the one sixty yard sixty five yard touchdown pass. I mean, he looked right, 
um, realized that they were in quarter coverage. And then because, you know, you had the slot receiver running a, a, a dig. So the safety was paying attention to that. And then, boom, he went through the post over the top. Boom, threw it perfectly. And right right in stride, the receiver never, never had a break stride. But, you know, that's one of his strengths. He could throw the ball really well down the field. So, obviously, he, you know, some of the intermediate stuff that he still has to work on a little bit and improve on. But, again, I feel that once he that gets tapped into, he'll be prompt. Now, see, here's the thing, though, right? If the Jets go Zach Wilson and Niners with Kyle Shanahan, they get Justin Fields. I mean, do we really have any questions if if Justin Fields is going to work with Kyle Shanahan? We saw what we saw what uh that Kyle Shanahan offense looked like with RT three <laughs> that one year before he tore his ACL. So, you know, you got you also have to weigh that. Do you want to miss out? Because if he goes to the Niners, he's going to be a stud. No questions about that. I have no doubts about that. Because we all know, like when it comes to quarterbacks, it's all about situation. If let's say Sam Darnold goes to the Browns, but he gets those weapons that the Browns provided him, he probably is in a much better position. If Lamar Lamar Jackson going to Baltimore and them creating a system that fits his strengths, now you know he ended up becoming the MVP. Same with the the Bills. The Jets obviously didn't do that with Sam Darnold, and then the uh, the Cardinals tossed you know Josh uh, Rosen out after a year. But then you saw what they did they with Kyler Murray, where they built an offense around their strength strengths. So if Justin Fields gets with Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> It's gonna we we he's going to be a stud. I have no questions about that. All right, DJ, where you land certainly does matter, and you've landed in New York, and for years, I mean, we all know uh, and have at least heard from the from the outside how tough the New York media can be on players and coaches. You're into it now. Do you kind of get a sense as to what makes it so tough? Why why it is much tougher in that media market to to kind of survive? I think this come. I think it comes from the New York culture overall. Like in New York, there's really like no excuses. Either you get the job done or you don't. Um, so you know, people don't want to hear excuses at all. You know, the fans, they don't really care to hear excuses. Either you get the job done or not. And you know, that can that's obviously unfair. But life isn't fair. Um, sometimes things need to be contextualized. Like you know, Sam Darnold not having the the proper pieces around him and the right coaches to have to help him grow. But it's more like it just it is what it is. So I think that the media members they carry that no excuse mantra because there's just some some markets don't doesn't really they don't really have that that um, they're not as hard. Like example, like I I bet you Jacksonville the market down in Jacksonville won't be nearly as hard on Trevor as they will on a Zach Wilson or a um, Justin Fields if the Jets take one of those two quarterbacks. So um, I just feel like just the culture that New York breeds of just um, getting to work and the hustler's mentality and no excuses, making things happen. And also, I mean, it's a very competitive market too. So like people are trying to chase stories and people are trying to create stories and create content. So sometimes people have to push the button and push it a little bit harder than, you know, other markets may do because, you know, you're trying to get that story, you're trying to get those readers, you're trying to get that click. I think that also plays somewhat of a factor into it. So what advice would you give specifically to the rookie quarterback, regardless of which which one they pick, on working with the New York media and, and being able to have a better relationship than, say, some others have had? That's a, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I guess my advice would be um, just sense who's genuine and who isn't. 
some people they just want to get a story no matter what it takes um my predecessor that was one of his um trademarks which is why he's no longer here because you know he, he did whatever he had to do but yeah just being able to understand who's genuine who actually you know cares about you as a player granted you know they're gonna I said that day I start to write my stories and if, if you're playing well I'm gonna write that if you're not playing well I have to write that also but who truly cares about you as a person who, who's gonna be fair who's gonna be just try to build relationships with those people and the people that are just trying to be sleazeballs just trying to do whatever they can to get a story um, just be wary of those people um, and just you know treat everybody with respect and, and and you should be good no matter what besides quarterback what do you think? What other positions should the Jets address in the upcoming draft with that 23rd overall pick and on day two? The way I have my my, my list set up, but offense, uh, you know, right right tackle and interior offensive line, probably like right guard, center a little bit. What I was hoping for was the kid out of USC to be there. Possibly I saw some mock drafts where he might, but then I just saw him on Kappa draft board where he had he has him in the top 10. So the chance of him falling 23 is probably slim to, slim to none. But, yeah, you know, I was looking at Tevin. Um, I forgot what team he plays for. He plays for Oklahoma State. I was looking at him today. Tevin um, Jenkins. A, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was watching him a little bit today. He's very violent. Um, I, I like what I saw on film of him. I watched some film study. Um, I did my own film study. Reached out to some people. Um, so I, I like him, too. Um, I, I like the left tackle from Virginia Tech. But I don't know, uh, Christian, I don't know if you can – Put a left tackle at right tackle. Granted, can you? Yes. Orlando Brown, he was a left tackle at uh, Oklahoma, I believe, and then now he's a right tackle for the Ravens, and then that's how he was able to switch back once um, Stanley got hurt. However, I don't know how I don't know how risky that is. That's something that I would have to ask coaches and act, you know vet what they think about that. I would be more comfortable getting a guy that's used to that um, th- those type of movements since they've been playing right tackle and things like that. But you know, if you're versatile, you can do it. Cool. Um, Cornerback. I'm hoping Horn from South Carolina will be there. I am praying he's there because be there. I will go up and um, select him for the Jets because he is a dog. I like I like what I watched on film by him. Um, I think he's gonna be able to have a good career. Um, but if he's not there, Greg News uh, Newsom from North, uh, Northwestern. I really like him. Also, he has really really good movement skills. He never looks like he's panicking in his backpedal. I really like him. And then on day two, they gotta get a um, they gotta get a running back because you know the Kyle Shanahan offense. Granted, yes, you can a lot of running backs can eat in that system, but you want to have someone that you can just hey, we're gonna give you 15, 20 carries, we're gonna give you a few more extra catches, do what you can do. Travis Etienne, ooh, he would be so great in that offense. Or um, Javante Williams from um, North Carolina, I like him also. So those are people that, you know, I, I'm thinking about just, you know, from a day two perspective, going back to that, you know, 23 overall pick, I, I really liked Greg. But then when I started watching um, Jenkins' film today, I was like, hmm, because, you know, they really do have to address the right side of the line. You can have a Kai Beckham, have Jenkins, and then boom, you got two book and tackles that they can end up, protect, you know, they'll protect the quarterback and things like that. So, yeah, those those are some names that have come in my mind, you know, just being on the beat for about two weeks now, just trying to catch up on my draft stuff, uh, but been putting my head down and getting to work and things like that. But those are some guys that have stood out for me in that aspect. You're a rookie too. Right? Yeah, yeah. You're a rookie with the Jets as well. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll have to add you to that draft class. <laughs> Most definitely. Most DJ, definitely. you've got the right idea. You need the quarterback, but you also need to, you know, that offensive line to to protect that quarterback, whoever it's going to be, or he's going to be running for his life. Please tell our listeners where they can find your work and where they can find you on social media. Um, so you can find me on social media at D B I E N A I M E N Y D N. So basically, D B N M A New York Daily News. Find me, find me on Twitter. Um, and you go again. You can find my work at the New York Daily News. DJ Bianime. Um, I, I interact with fans. Um, I have no issues interacting with them because that 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 makes this stuff fun. At the end of the day, it's sports, you know. So why not inter- interact with people and, and have conversations, you know? Um, because at the end of the day, we're all passionate about this. So that's what makes uh, this whole thing fun. Without without the interaction, without the fans, without the media, the sport doesn't grow to where it is right now. Amen to that. DJ, thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. No problem. You all have a great day. Thank you for having me on. This was fun. I know one of Alex's favorite times of the year are pro days. Pro days are, are front and center, and especially this year because without the combine, and yeah, we need a lot to talk about. So without further ado, let, let's br- let's bring in my partner Alex Kaftoff. And Alex, I know you've seen a couple of comments you've made uh, in social media about uh, pro days and the like. Uh, what, what's going on? I mean, do you like pro days? That's a sensitive subject, Lou. <laughs> I do not like pro days. Never liked them, ever. Ever since I attended the, the Teddy Bridgewater pro day back in the day when, according to ESPN and everyone else that was there, he had a horrible day. He wasn't wearing a glove that, that, you know, that day. I mean, I, I give him that. They had something to talk about. He missed a couple of deep throws. All of a sudden, Todd McShay went on on ESPN and and said what a what a horrible pro day it was. But don't you notice a pattern that most quarterbacks have a good pro day? It's a scripted type of throw. They've got 50, 60 throws in their bag. They know exactly what they're going to do. Everything is down to a T. They've practiced so many times, Lou. And that's what really bothers me. Like, Put a pass rush out there. Let's get a defensive end running in his face. Let's get a cornerback that's going against a wide receiver. And and then it'll be it'll become more interesting. I realize you mentioned it that pro days are a lot more important today just because we didn't have the combine and teams aren't gonna meet with players for individual workouts. So the pro day is all they have to dig into. And I understand that, but when was the last time a quarterback had a bad pro day? Again, it goes back to 2014 when Teddy Bridgewater, according to ESPN, didn't have a good one. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan with guys throwing the ball to wide open wide receivers with shorts on. They're just going through the motion. They're showing off their strong arm. I get it. It's part of the process. But everybody on Twitter now has become an expert because they watch that pro day and you listen to these guys these fans and they're like i want justin fields no i want zach wilson no i want mac jones these guys haven't watched a lick of college football but they make it sound like these guys deserve to be in the hall of fame already well and i'll begin this with with just saying first off i mean it's a very small 
part of the uh, evaluation process. Obviously, you have to be able to play when you know the bullets are flying. It, you know, it's a real game situations, weather. I mean, everything else. Okay, let let's just cast that aside. And if this were the only thing that guys were were looking at, and obviously it's not the scouts because the scouts are seeing them practice, they're seeing them play under normal circumstances, right? In a normal year, that all the all these things factor into it, how they play in games, how they react in interviews, how they react, you know, with their amongst their their teammates, all that stuff, character, all those things have to go into it. But, you know, this time of year, there's no games, right? I mean, there's no college games going on. So it's the only it's maybe the last time you get a chance to see them on the campus for the the, the people that go, which, oh, by the way, 31 or 32 teams are at all of these. Uh, I think the Rams are the ones that are, I guess, I don't know, pinching pennies on travel for for their uh, GM and, and coach. That aside, you know, they're going to watch the tape. They're going to do all this stuff in, in terms of watching what happens in the, in the pro day. But again, it's it's a chance for some of these guys to kind of show off. But then you also have guys that, again, in this year's uh, pro day circuit, opted out. They didn't play last year, so there is tape on them, but it's a, it's you know, a couple years ago. So, okay, what have you been doing? Are you in shape? Can you do these things? Can you show that you're athletic? You can move. You got, you know, you got loose hips. Yeah, every, everything. Now, specifically to the quarterbacks, I think it, it is just an exercise to, again, just show off. Yes, yeah, you shouldn't have a bad pro to everybody. Yes, they are scripted and so forth. But again, to actually be down there on the field and see these guys where in most cases the coach and the GM themselves probably haven't had that opportunity outside of watching them on on tape. Again, it's not going to be the be-all, end-all and, okay, we're going to take this guy because I saw him do this, you know, in the indoor facility, but it can cement a lot of things that you had coming in. And, you know, in most cases, it isn't going to raise, raise any questions. Again, all these teams go, they're very interested to see what happens. So they'll continue to do it. And, and again, I think it would just be from a fan's perspective to just enjoy watching gray the athleticism and not make it, okay, this guy's, you know, the, the best football player that's ever lived. No. We have to see him do it on Sundays for 12 to 15 years and do it at the highest level possible. So, But during Zach Wilson's pro day, as he was getting ready to, to throw, San Francisco, again, I mean, I don't know if there was any inkling to this, but and I don't know what the timing was of this, but as he's getting ready to throw, they make a huge deal with the Miami Dolphins to move up to number three and then it ends up I think it ended up really being a three-team deal but at the end of the day it turned out to be two separate transactions so Miami ends up at six Philadelphia 12 but San Francisco all the way up to three and now let the speculation begin of what a Kyle Shanahan quarterback is is it Mac Jones is it Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean who knows I mean if he was a healthy guy maybe we wouldn't have be having this conversation they wouldn't have made that move but Fields, Trey Lance. The first two guys, I think, are pretty much off the board. Trevor Lawrence, at least. But the Jets, yeah, maybe it is Zach Wilson. Maybe not. But now you got San Francisco at three. Take your fan hat off, and I know you will. What are they they doing here? What was the move? I have no idea, Lou. 
you mentioned those three guys and i just i have no clue which way they're going they could go in a number of directions and you can make a case for each one of those guys the one thing that i do know is urban meyer went on a show and said trevor lawrence is our guy at number one so that's a given but that's something we knew a couple of months ago when urban meyer took the job that lawrence was going to be his guy what i am certain of is even though the timing the 49ers made this trade to number three during Zach Wilson's pro day, I do realize that the Jets, I'm 110% sure that they'll choose Zach Wilson at two because they want to tear it all down. They have a new coaching staff. Joe Douglas isn't committed to Sam Darnold. That wasn't his guy. He wants to get his own guy in there and so start all over. You brought in a new coaching staff and It's basically a new team that's assembling out there, so you have to bring in your quarterback. I'm certain BYU's quarterback, Zach Wilson, is going to be the quarterback in New York. But who are the 49ers going to choose? It just depends on which channel you listen to because (laughs) some guys are pulling for Mac Jones and saying that's a, a Kyle Shanahan type of guy. But I'll be honest with you. I like Mac Jones. But to give up this much in order to move up to number three, to get a guy you're probably were going to get at number 12, it's hard for me to dissect this information. Well, think about this. Forget about the off-field stuff for a second. But, you know, that, that would have been a good haul, you think, for Deshaun Watson. So if you listen to somebody like Chris Sims... He has been making a case, even though he claims that Kyle Shanahan is his best friend and he's never asked him the question, who you're taking at number three, he believes it's Mac Jones from Alabama. Look, with all due respect, again, I like Mac Jones. He processes information well. He's got good field vision, but he's only had one year in Alabama's offense. One year being surrounded by an all-star team. I'm one of those guys, if he can move within the pocket and have that pocket awareness, I could care less whether you're, you know, a great athlete or not. You don't have to be a dual threat quarterback to be successful. Look at Tom Brady. Look at Peyton Manning. They were able to maneuver, step up, slide within the pocket to buy themselves an extra half second in order to make the play. So Mac Jones can do that. The only thing is, there are a number of things on film that you see from Mac Jones where he underthrows that particular throw and his wide receiver is like five yards ahead of the defensive back but you see it's it's a clear under throw if he's hitting the guy in stride it's an 80 yard touchdown but he throws it like 40 or 50 yards Devonte smith had to slow down and make the catch those things are present in mac jones's film he throws with anticipation he's accurate but there are a number of times when it should be a touchdown But it's not. It's like a 40 or 50 yard completion. In the NFL, that could be an interception because a defensive back is closer to the wide receiver. And you're not going to have that three, five yard separation that you have in college. If I'm getting Mac Jones, isn't Mac Jones very similar to Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, they're both accurate. They both can see the field. The only thing that you're getting, you might be getting a younger quarterback and a healthy one because Jimmy G can't stay healthy. But I really don't see much of a difference between a Mac Jones and a Jimmy Garoppolo because to me, they're pretty similar quarterbacks. Yeah, it's the it's the durability aspect of it. But like I said, I mean, if if Jimmy was you know playing every game every year, I don't think they I don't think they make this move. And if they did make the move, 
they wouldn't have given up that much to move up to get like a Kyle Pitts or you know some other offensive weapon that they think that they need, but they really don't. If Jimmy G is a healthy guy, do they make a leap up to get more help for him? But I don't think so because, like you said, I mean, the team around him is pretty darn good. And I think that's what they believe is that they're a quarterback away. In terms of Mac Jones, I think he probably is a little bit more athletic than Jimmy G. Jimmy G isn't the quickest guy. I don't know that he really moves in the pocket terribly well, at least from what, what I've seen. And so, and I don't, I'm not saying Mac Jones is a super athlete, but I think he's athletic enough to move, has a little bit more wiggle, if you would, in, in his game to avoid the rush and so forth. But again, we haven't seen much because he played behind the best offensive line in, um, in the NCAA last year. You look at who Shanahan has had, you point to, you know, what he did when he, when he's, when Jimmy G has been healthy, Matt Ryan, when he was healthy. Uh, Going back to Houston, if you want to give him credit for that, even though, you know, his dad was there, Matt Schaub. So Kirk Cousins, I mean, Kirk Kirk Cousins Cousins is the guy that everybody always brings up. And that's 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 his guy and everything else. And, you know, I don't know. And I, I heard this and I don't know if it really warrants repeating, but I think there may be part of this in the back of his mind is that when they made a similar move in Washington to move up to get RG3, mobile quarterback, running quarterback, and so forth, and if you kind of look at the parallel between RG3 and maybe Lance Fields, not the same players. RG3 is kind of a frail dude to begin with, but he ends up getting hurt and ruins his career So, you know, is that factoring in the back of Shanahan's mind and saying, okay, we just need somebody to deliver the ball. Our offense is good enough to get somebody open. We just need somebody to get the ball where we want it, when we want it, and not worry about the other stuff. Play action pass. We don't have to run a lot of a lot of a lot of boots. They're probably probably in the top ten as far as teams that run play action pass. Maybe that's the thought process. But then I don't know. Has Mac Jones elevated himself enough? Did they just move up to three, thinking okay, if, if we get the three, we know who the first two guys are. We can pick whoever we want and not have to worry about somebody jumping us. I guess that's the only thing keeping me from saying okay. Here's who they're going to go with. I would think, athletically, Fields, Lance, but I think Jones is more ready to play now. He can fit into that offense and play as well as Jimmy G or Matt Ryan or Matt Schaub, you think. So maybe that's what that's what the thought process is, and maybe some of that RG3 fear is, is lingering in the back of his mind. I've gone back and forth, and I can make a case for all three guys. Mac Jones excels at play-action passes. He's good at that with those play fakes and knowing where to go with the ball. But then you can make a case for a guy like Trey Lance because the 49ers have stated, we're not trading Jimmy G. We're keeping him for an extra year. So that means they want him to be the starter, and they're going to groom the guy slowly. And who is the quarterback that you would groom very slowly in this process. That would be Trey Lance, a guy who played on only one game in 2020, who only started for one year. He's only 20 years old, but he gives you, he's got a better arm, he is athletic, he can throw on the move, and he can certainly execute those play-action passes as well because he played in that pro-style offense at North Dakota State. 
So you see it on film as well, him just dropping back, making that fake, and, and going deep. And he's capable of going through those progressions. In Trey Lance, you can sit him for a year, and then he would also be a good fit into Kyle Shanahan's offense because of what he gives him. But then you mentioned RG3. That At that time, Mike Shanahan made the move, that's Kyle's dad, to trade up to get RG3. So they believed in this evolution of a running quarterback, of a dual-threat quarterback, and they felt like this guy could fit into their offense. So that's something that's got to be lingering in Kyle Shanahan's mind as well. I could do this with Justin Fields. I can make him into a better pocket quarterback, but he can give me that athleticism when a play breaks down. Doesn't Kyle Shanahan want an upgrade over Jimmy G? He would want somebody that would oh, be yeah, able to absolutely. run with the football because he sees that's what the NFL is moving towards. So Justin Fields makes a lot of sense. He might not be the pocket passer that Mac Jones is, but he's certainly a better athlete, a much better athlete. And we see what guys like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, what they're doing in the NFL right now. And you can certainly make a case for Justin Fields as well. But here's my problem with Fields. He doesn't process information really well. And that's something that he's got to work on. It's got to be like a Josh Allen, you know, ascension in that regard. He's got a good deep ball. He's got a strong arm. We know about his running ability. We know his he's a dual threat. But I'm not sure from the neck up that Justin Fields is on the same level as some of these other quarterbacks that we're talking about. And I'm talking about Trevor Lawrence. I'm talking about Zach Wilson. I'm talking about Mac Jones. I think that's the problem that I have because there are so many times on film that I see Justin Fields trying to go for the big play on, on a post or a streak route. He's looking at that guy. And then there's another wide receiver that comes into his vision, his peripheral vision on a crossing route or a slant. He's wide open. I mean, any guy would see that. And I'm sure he sees him, but he doesn't check it down. He doesn't take the easy play. He doesn't go through his progressions. He rarely hits the running back out of the backfield. He usually, it's a one read, and then he tucks it and runs it. It's not going to work in the NFL. Teams are going to catch on. They've caught on with Lamar Jackson as well. So that's my biggest problem with Justin Fields. As crazy as it sounds, he started for two years, and he's got great production at Ohio State, but he's more of a project than Mac Jones is, even though Mac Jones only started for one year at Alabama. So all those things I've already mentioned, you can make a case for all three of these guys at number three, and nobody Nobody knows what the 49ers are going to do. They've certainly given us a lot to talk about. And perhaps the only reason Mac Jones' name has even come up is that, you know, again, people like Chris Sims and uh, some other pundits out there are saying this could be a, a Shanahan guy. I, you know, again, it, it'll give us plenty to talk about. It's very exciting. It was very unexpected on sleepy Friday afternoon in March. And we're just going to watch another pro day, and the next thing you know, there's uh, all sorts of activity. And yeah, San Francisco's buying themselves some uh, some PR here over the next few months as well, with everybody trying to guess what they're doing. And then Shanahan's uh, press conference doesn't doesn't really help the situation. He's like throwing more grease on the fire, and you have no idea what 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 they want to do. They were at Mac Jones's. Uh, pro day as long as we're talking about pro days if if that means anything probably it not it should mean something this year well that they were there yeah 
Falcons are sitting there, you know, I'm sure they're they're thinking quarterback and maybe Justin Fields going home. Cincinnati, you know, is going to be a prime maybe trading spot or four or five. You know, Carolina is going to want to come up. And yeah, it's it's just going to be very exciting at the top. And if there is a trade at five, I mean, who's to say that the first five picks aren't quarterbacks? Wouldn't that be something? We'd be yeah, talking that about be that. Amazing. We'd be talking about that till the beginning of the season. That would be amazing because, I mean, to me, the two biggest quarterback so-called drafts were 2004 when we had Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, but there was also a guy by the name of J.P. Lossman that came out of uh, UCLA Tulane that, that didn't stick. So it was three out of the four quarterbacks, and three of them should be in the Hall of Fame. And then the second quarterback draft to me was 2018 when we had Baker Mayfield, when we had Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. And so far, Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen they haven't done their part, but the other three quarterbacks have been good. So that's three out of the five. I'm pulling for all five of these guys to be good, but that's not going to happen. It's probably going to be three out of five or four out of five. So you always try to ask yourself the question, who do you think is going to bust? And usually you try to go with those guys that were like one-year wonders. Mac Jones started for one year. It's a risk uh, for a very good team. And then Trey Lance. Trey Lance hasn't played many games either. None of these guys have really played many games. Well, except for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has has played in like 34 games. I mean, he started for three years, and he's the one that has a huge resume. And then you have, as far as Zach Wilson is concerned, absolutely. People have seen flashes, but he's got some injury concerns. He had a shoulder injury that he dealt with. If the first game you tuned into was in 2019 against Washington— Zach Wilson looked like crap in that game. If you tuned in to watch him against Coastal Carolina's defense, he didn't have a good day. I mean, the entire team didn't have a good day, but Zach Wilson certainly didn't shine in that game. And so there is something to be said that against the cupcake defenses, he shined. But when he played against the bigger boys who could present more of a challenge to him on the defensive side, he didn't do well. And then you can make a case for, for the other guys. Trey Lance, like you mentioned, he, he only played for one year at the FCS level, but he won a championship for a very good team with North Dakota State, but he, he led them to a national title. You could make a case for, for a lot of these quarterbacks, and I'm pulling for all of them. Like They all have a lot of special traits. Absolutely. I think we could realistically at this point say that we could have the first four picks in the 2021 NFL draft, and they're all going to be quarterbacks. Not to say the least. And this year they'll be playing 17 games. But, uh, we'll, we'll save that for, for another show. The Dolphins are on the other end of this, uh, this equation. They first you know, moved down from 3 to 12 with San Francisco. And then, like I said, it was more of a three-team trade. So it, it turns out they end up at six, Philadelphia down to 12, which I guess would tell us that uh, Jalen Hurts is going to be their guy, at least for this year, right? And Miami moves back up to six where they can grab one of those top playmakers. But then also, I think, tells us they're going to stick with Tua. So at number six, you're thinking either, you know, whoever's there, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, 
uh, Jalen Waddle. I mean, I don't, I don't know which ones, but I think it would be Pitts or Chase. I don't know, depending on what Cincinnati does. But anyway, Miami kind of, you know, moved down, moved back up. It was a three-team deal. What do you think of Miami on the surface sticking with Tua, Philadelphia sticking with Jalen Hurts? Well, I think you nailed it. I think it's going to come down to Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, or Jamar Chase from LSU. And both guys had their pro day today on Wednesday as we speak, and and both guys killed their pro day. Chase ran a much faster time than I think anybody anticipated. I think he ran like a 4.38, and then Pitts put put up these amazing numbers and ran like a 4.44 at the tight end position. We haven't seen that since the, the Vernon Davis days. Uh, who was picked sixth overall by the 49ers back in the day when he ran a 4.38 at the Combine. I would go with Pitts personally just because he could be such a mismatch at the tight end position versus linebackers. He's the unicorn, right? I mean, there's no comparison here. This is where the NFL is moving. If you have a tight end, you've got an advantage. I mean, look at Kelsey, look at Kittle, and those teams were in the Super Bowl, you know, uh, a year ago. And this it's guy's just, bigger, stronger, faster. And absolutely. I would go with Kyle Pitts because you can find a wide receiver on day two. You can find him on day three. There's nothing that screams special to me, and I might be on an island in the minority. I don't see a special talent in Jamar Chase. Like, he's not a guy that, that's going to dominate in terms of being that big-time playmaker. He's not a, a Julio Jones or a Calvin Johnson. Kyle Pitts is. So you always he want to could get a be. guy. He's got a chance to be, right? I mean, Absolutely. just be based on the measurables and, and the production, too. I mean, when he was on the field this year, it seemed like he was a touchdown machine. And I guess the one that the, the stat that really blew me away was the wingspan. I mean, is large, I think larger than even Calvin Johnson. So the catch radius, the just the way he moves, low balls, high balls. I mean, he's a great route runner. He is a bit of a unicorn. So Philadelphia fans have just got to be scratching their heads a little bit. Well, Philadelphia wanted to gain some extra picks in a return. Yeah, yeah. And, and they'll it, be next year. Sense. Yeah, they've got some. They'll be stocked up for the next few years in first round picks. I guess Philadelphia twelve is going to look like possibly a corner if the right guy is going to be there, maybe a wide receiver as well, even though they went wide receiver in 2020. But they could look at somebody they still like need Waddle. Receivers, yeah. yeah, they could look somebody like a, a Jalen Waddle who can stretch the field and be that deep threat for them, but can also help in the return game as a, as a punt returner, a kick returner, a dynamic playmaker that could change the game and in the same way that you're Tyreek Hill changes the game. So that that's a possibility at 12. But that's just that was really interesting. The Dolphins trading down and then all of a sudden trading up again at six. And that just it makes you think that they're trying to position themselves for one of those playmakers that you mentioned. Well, with all three teams kind of keeping this under wraps and not, you know, turning into like a bidding war. I mean, I think that's the more intriguing thing because Again, I mean, it's it's reported. I mean, or it's reported, or it's not reported that you know San Francisco didn't offer this to the Jets. That I guess that's a whole other question. But they're sitting there at three, and you know who knows? I mean, it's just uh, yeah, a lot of speculation going on right now. But again, a couple of teams maybe locking into their young quarterback at least for this season, and then some that are still still looking for that guy. 
There was an interesting report out there. I don't remember who reported it. But the Eagles were interested to trade up to number three with the Miami Dolphins before the 49ers were willing to make that trade. But they were only interested in Zach Wilson. So it makes me think that if the Eagles traded back all the way to number 12, they realized that the Jets were going to choose Zach Wilson at two. And the 49ers obviously went to number three already settling for that number three quarterback. So that's almost like a a tipping sign for all those people, for all those non-believers that the Jets are going to draft a tackle at number two instead (laughs) of Zach Wilson. I mean, that's almost a tipping point for all those naysayers that the Eagles realized that they weren't going to get Zach Wilson at number well, this, three. Well, the 49ers now, I think, have kind of priced everybody out of the market for the Jets because, you know, if you look at that as a starting point to get to number three, what are you going to have to give up to get to number two? You know, who's got that kind of juice at this point? Who's got that, you know, wants to trade away so many future first-round picks? So, yeah, I think that is that is a good point that the Jets may have tipped their hand right there and just saying, okay, hey, we're, we like where we are. You know, th- this is it. And then, you know, as we lead into our team of focus, the Denver Broncos, that might have a little bit of a Jets flavor to it because, you know, with Drew Locke sitting there at quarterback, I don't know that they're convinced that he's their guy. I don't know if he's done enough to prove that he's moving in, in the right direction of being their guy. Could this be a landing spot for Sam Darnold? Maybe on like night two of the draft, they make they make the deal after they uh, acquire Zach Wilson at number two. Is that, well, it's certainly a possibility, but is it a probability? You know, it's very probable because the Jets will draft a quarterback. Sam Darnold is going to be out there. They're going to be looking for that return. And somebody is going to give up like a day two pick for Sam Darnold, maybe a third round pick. That that would be a fair price. But I think the Broncos are going to be patient at nine. They realize that all these teams that we talked about, all four of these teams want quarterbacks. And then you mentioned that the Carolina Panthers are also in need of a quarterback sitting there, possibly taking that number four or number five guy. But if if one of those guys slips, I think the Broncos have to jump at the chance. If there's one quarterback that remains at nine, if it's like Trey Lance or Justin Fields at nine, you pull the trigger. I mean, the Denver Broncos, they, they have to just run up to the podium as quickly as possible. But if it's not that, then they have to look at corner or possibly look at one of those, you know, Outside linebackers, possibly that three-four guy that can could be that replacement for uh, Von Miller in the future, or maybe you get somebody like Michael Parsons for from Penn State, and you plug him in as an inside linebacker in that three-four defense, and he can go sideline to sideline, and he could be that athletic guy. I, I like the fact that they fixed their offensive line. And they have the playmakers on the outside. You and I have talked about this. I mean, they've got a couple of wide receivers there. Cortland Sutton is coming back from injury. They drafted Jerry Judy, who is probably going to break out even more in in year two. They also have to look at running back, Lou, because they just got rid of Phillip Lindsay, and he was a big part of what the Denver Broncos were looking at. They have Melvin, Melvin Gordon there, but they need somebody to pair up with him because... He, he just can't stay healthy for a full 16-game schedule. 
Well, they di- they did bring in you know again a low level uh, free agent, but a guy that hasn't really had much opportunity with Minnesota and Mike Boone. I know he was a tremendous college player. Not that you know you're going to count on him, but he could be a guy that could you know slip ahead of Royce Freeman, which you know a guy that's not been able to stay healthy either. You talked about Gordon Broncos, you know five and eleven last year. You know they had some decent win. You know they won at New England. I don't know how big a deal that was at Carolina, which you know Carolina was a decent team. They beat Miami at home. Tua was kind of struggling that game. They did lose a game when they started a practice squad wide receiver, former college quarterback, at at a game. So it's a weird season for them. You know, I mean, just you know, offensively they could never really find a real identity or score many points although like you said they do have some talented players you know Sutton Judy Hamler Tim Patrick Deshaun Hamilton but again Sutton Patrick and Hamilton are free agents after the season so again you know wide receiver doesn't look like an immediate need but might be a way they go. I'm not sure they would do that at nine. Bringing in Fuller, I think, was 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 a huge move. Kyle Fuller, the corner from Chicago, uh, pairing up with his old uh, DC Vic Fangio, re-signed Kareem Jackson. They bring in Ronald Darby, so they they made a lot of moves to it. A, a decent defense, although they did give up a lot of points. But I'm thinking that was more of a function of their offense not being able to sustain drives and their defense being on the field a lot because they had a lot of sacks. It's it's a team in flux. I mean, a lot of a lot of moving parts at this point. So corner, maybe even the maybe even the offensive line. I mean, Juwan James is is not really done what he they expect him to do. He's been injured a lot when he has played. I think he's been a little bit of a disappointment. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of moving parts with this team. But they again, Miller's coming back. Justin Simmons got an extension. You still got Bradley Chubb. Uh, Shelby Harris is resigned. Uh, Draymond Jones had a breakout season, so a lot, of, a lot of good pieces here. But again, in that division, you're sitting there with the fourth best quarterback, and you know we'll continue to hammer this, and it's gonna, you know, they gotta upgrade a quarterback. So if Darnold becomes available, which it looks like he may, you know, would teams like Washington be interested? The Bears. Carolina, if they can't get one of the the younger guys, you know Sam's still a pretty young dude. He came into the league. I think he was only twenty years old. Yeah, I hate to keep bringing it back to the quarterback, but that's the most important position, and they don't have that fixed. So that's kind of where all this is going to revolve. A lot, a lot of things to look at here with the Broncos. A lot of things to like, but still, it seems like a bunch of parts, not quite a, a good team yet. It all comes down to the quarterback. Again, we are reiterating the same thing over and over again. But if they can find that quarterback of the future, because you and I believe that Drew Locke is not that quarterback of the future, that once they settle on that guy, they've got the pieces in order for him to thrive in in that offense. And Vic Fangio is always going to have a good defense. I mean, if the right quarterback is there at nine, you pull the trigger. If everybody is gone then, yeah, you have to have the fullback option. And, and Sam Darnold looks like a, a pretty reasonable get if you can give up a day two pick and have him battle Drew Locke during training camp. Same situation, I, I guess, with um, when Arizona picked Kyler Murray and then 
on either late in day one or early day two, they make the they trade Rosen and you know get back the whatever second round pick, third round pick, whatever they got. I'm thinking maybe a similar situation. They want to, I guess, make sure they have their quarterback of the future first before they deal Darnold. Certainly a possibility there, or one of these other teams jump in, like Denver, and I think they'd love to have them. You know, West Coast guy. Denver's not exactly West Coast, but we've seen guys uh, from the Pac-12 certainly thrive in, in Denver. Okay, so we've reached the final four. I know this is not a basketball show, but uh, we're not blind to what's happening, and it's it's been a great tournament to this point with a lot of unpredictability with some of the different brackets. But ultimately, it looks like the two best teams, Gonzaga and Baylor, are going to end up playing each other. Although UCLA has made this very interesting, I really liked USC as a team, a lot of length. But of course, you know, Gonzaga just looks like a machine. They've got answers to every, any question you can throw at them inside, outside, offense, defense. They shoot the three, they, run, they get out in transition, they play uh, good enough defense. It, it's hard for me to see them losing. But UCLA, I mean, it, what a great story from first four to final four. You know, Mick Cronin, you know, it was kind of an afterthought when he left, when he was fired, I guess, at Cincinnati and ends up you know, taking the UCLA job. And it was like nobody wanted it. And now here he is in the final four. And it's just it's just been a great run. But uh, I don't see it any different than that. I don't think uh, your predictions haven't changed, have they? No, they haven't. I, I got three out of the four teams that I predicted back on the last show, make it to the Final Four. Houston, Gonzaga, Baylor. The only team that didn't make it is Alabama. Um, Obviously, UCLA took the reins, and um, Alabama was close, right? They hit that three to force overtime, and then UCLA just ran away with it in overtime. So I thought Alabama was primed to make that run in overtime. They didn't. And then UCLA just continued. I guess it's fair, Lou, because the Pac-12 has been good. Making it, all those teams making it to the Sweet 16, you know, three of them making it to the Elite Eight, Oregon State, UCLA, and USC. One Pac-12 team has had to make it to the Final Four. I'm glad it's the UCLA Bruins. They have right. a I mean, it, great they, history. The last one in, right? The last one is the last is the last one to leave. I told you Michigan was going to lose, but I had them losing against Florida. Florida State, State yeah, right. Which and that then, was just a that really surprised me. That was such a runaway. I mean, Michigan just I don't know what happened there. I well, thought Florida, Florida State, State was a much just, better team. Even if they don't win the game, I thought they would have been in it. They didn't make shots. They didn't hit three-pointers. They turned the ball over. And they collapsed against the Wolverines. But UCLA, great story. I mean, their best player is a transfer from Kentucky who's just carrying them. You already mentioned their head coach. It's been a great tournament. And now we've got UCLA versus Gonzaga. Right, and then um, you know we've got uh, Houston versus Baylor. Yeah. My Going prediction back, hasn't back changed. in the day, for those of a certain age, this is an old Southwest Conference matchup. Yeah, my prediction hasn't changed. I think it's going to be Baylor against Gonzaga in the final, and yeah. I am going to go with the with Baylor to win it all. Right now, it looks like Gonzaga is is an unbeaten force. Hard to go that against can't be them. Stopped. But I'm going to go with Baylor. I've seen Baylor win in a number of ways during this tournament when they haven't hit threes, but they still found ways to win. 
I just think this team is primed. I'll, I'll go with them to... I'm not saying they're going to pull off the upset. It's not much of an upset, to be honest with you. Baylor and Gonzaga are pretty even teams, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, they've been both been like right at the top of the, the rankings pretty much the whole season. Baylor had a little had a little slowdown there when they had a COVID pause, but uh, once they got their legs back under them and you can just see. I mean, this is this is a really, really well coached, strong team. A lot, a lot of athleticism. You know, a lot of skilled players, shooters. The ultimate difference, I think, is going to be the inside players of Gonzaga are a little bit more skilled. Going to get you more finishes at the rim. So again, it's going to come down to can Baylor hit a, a larger percentage of threes. And then maybe they'll be in the game. But if not, and you know, barring any foul trouble or any injuries, maybe with the point spread I would take Baylor, but um, not going to not going to take them straight up. We'll see who who winds up a winner. And uh, it's been a great tournament. Certainly been a lot of fun for the fans watching, even from on on their couches on the TV. You know, we didn't have it last year, and it's just it's a welcome sight to have the March Madness back. Absolutely, gang. And that is going to do it for us this week. It's been, again, like Alex said, great, great tournament. Looking forward to this Final Four. Uh, More pro days happening. As he mentioned, the SEC one's taking place today. A lot of of fast 40 times. So we'll maybe talk about that next week. But uh, as always, on the way out, we wish you peace.